Yesterday we had that great selection from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus teaches about the commandments. You remember it. This is what you have heard and this is what I say. It's a great passage because it takes us from what is good, meaning the commandments, and takes us to what is better, not just following the commandments exteriorly, but living them from the heart. So it, it's challenging gospel, but it's a very beautiful one because it helps us fulfill what we're called to do and be. Now Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the commandments. That would leave you with no guidance at all. No, I came to fulfill them, and by extension, so that we could fulfill them. Now, in today's readings, we have another option. We, if, we, if we choose to fulfill the commandments, beautiful. What if we choose not to follow the commandments? What if we reject guidance from God? Well, that's something that's at the heart of today's readings. In this gospel, there's a clue from the very first line that there's something wrong. The Pharisees came forward and began to argue with Jesus seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Well, arguing with Jesus and seeking a sign from him and testing him is to get off on the wrong foot. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't express disagreement with the Lord. In that sense, there's two different kinds of arguments, you know. There's the argument in which we're really seeking to find out the truth, uh, we're, our, our disagreement, we discuss it and try to come to some mutual agreement. That's a, a healthy argument. But the other kind of argument, which is what we see all the time now in, in the political and social world, is two opponents yelling at each other. <laughs> they don't listen to each other. They don't seek the truth from each other. They just oppose each other. That's what the Pharisees do here, this second kind of argument. They're just opposed to Jesus. They're demanding from him. They're, they're rejecting him. They're arguing with him, not to learn from him, but to put him down. Now, as I say, it's not, it's not impossible to argue with Jesus in the sense of seeking the truth from him. You, you could think of, for example, St. Uh, Mary Magdalene. Uh, she had a little argument with Jesus uh, about what her sister was doing. But she learned from Jesus to see it differently, remember? You're upset about many things, but there's really one thing necessary, Martha, and you should change your priorities here. Peter had an argument with Jesus, remember, when Jesus proclaimed that he was going to be, he's going to suffer and die, and Peter said, oh no, that should never happen. And then uh, Jesus cut off that argument pretty fast, <laughs> get behind me, Satan. And we don't hear another peep out of Simon Peter after that. There wasn't much of an argument, but as Simon Peter took the correction, he didn't stand opposed to Jesus anymore. Well, the Pharisees here simply oppose him, and that's why Jesus says, I can't do anything with you. I can't give you a sign because you don't really want the truth. You're, you're hardening your heart against me. So he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'll just leave you here. But where does that now, where does that terrible hardness of heart come from? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. We return to the great book of Genesis and these foundation stories. Genesis, as we had said all last week, is not a historical account or a scientific account. It's a theological account. It's a, it's a, it's a religious 
it's a revelation of, of what God is up to and, and how he has made us and what our place is in his creation, what our relationships are to be with God and with one another. It's just extraordinary. And here we have the famous passage. This is Genesis chapter 4, the passage about Cain and Abel, or Cain and Abel. I always call him Abel because I'm from the United States. Abel is, I think, the correct pronunciation in the Philippines, but you know it's the same person, Abel, Abel. Uh, he's actually a pretty minor part of the story because he just gets born and then he gets killed and that's about it. <laughs> Although he, he makes his offering to the Lord. But the main, the main passage here is all about Cain and his relationship with God. Now, remember, this is a story to teach profound lessons about God and about human nature and about what has gone wrong. It's not a story about uh, uh, where all the people come from. People always ask, well, you know, once Cain kills Abel, there's only one. He's, he's all alone. He's in, he's in an Adam condition again. No wife, no brothers, no sisters. That's <laughs> kind of a dead end. But that's not what this is about. This is about how sin influences the human condition and how and how God relates to our sin. Well, the first sin, as we know, was disobedience to God, uh, uh, the the deliberate taking of the forbidden fruit. Although, because of the deceptive influence of the of the serpent, but that's the first sin. We don't have any other recorded sins on the level of Adam and Eve. Next generation is Cain and Abel, and the, the legacy of sin gets, uh, gets worse. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, violation of the commandment to love of God, love of God. Cain kills Abel, violation of the commandment, love your neighbor. So, and it goes downhill from here, as you know from the story of Genesis, pretty, pretty much everything unravels as sin takes its uh, full course through human nature. Now, this leaves human nature in a, sin leaves human nature in a terrible condition. It doesn't take much wisdom to see that there's something really wrong with us. If you look at, well, psychology is a good source. Uh, Freud, the famous father of modern psychology, thought that Human beings, human persons, were by nature wicked. He was an atheist, I think. He didn't, he didn't take into account what God wanted, but he just looked at human nature and he said, well, we just naturally are aggressive against each other, we make demands against each other, we steal from each other, we'll try to dominate each other. There's this uh, root sexual drive which is, which is channeled into all kinds of aggressiveness uh, and abuse and uh, we're pretty much nasty people, and that's just how, the way we are. So we are tyrants, thieves, rapists, murderers, and um, I can't remember what else. <laughs> pretty much all bad, and he says that's just the way we are. Now, you might be able to control it a little bit with some social guidance or training in early childhood, but the basic nature of the human person is all aggressive selfishness and domination. And in a certain way, he's not that far off, because look at the story of Genesis. 
there is, once you get Cain and Abel, and then there's all kinds of aggression and domination and selfishness going on. What, what Freud doesn't know is that God did not create us evil. He created us good, very good. And that there's a wound in our nature that leaves us with a tendency toward stealing and killing and raping and dominate, dominating and aggressiveness. So let's look at what, uh, how, how God deals with this broken condition. And uh, now you know Cain and Abel, they both make their offering to God. Cain's uh, offering is not accepted or is not looked on with favor by the Lord, but Abel's is. It's not exactly clear why, but it seems as if Abel gave the best he had. Cain did not. Anyway, whatever, whatever it is, Cain ends up with this resentment. It says he's resentful and crestfallen. It's an interior condition at this stage. And the Lord, seeing the danger, gives Cain a very clear but gentle warning. Huh? Don't be resentful. Don't let resentment get its roots in you because you can overcome this temptation. You can hold up your head if you do well. You can change. You don't have to give in to resentment or envy. But if you give in, sin is a demon lurking at the door. His urge is toward you, yet you can be his master. You see what, what uh, God says to Cain? You're, you're on the threshold here of being dominated by sin, but you can overcome the temptation. It's very wise, and it, it is, uh, God is not against him. Cain doesn't say anything to God. He doesn't get into an argument. He doesn't apparently even listen. No response at all. His next line is to his brother, let us go out in the field. And then the terrible sin, murder or a specific kind of murder, fratricide, killing of one's own brother. The Lord approaches Cain here, not immediately with punishment, not immediately with condemnation. He comes with a question, where is your brother? You see how God deals with sinners? He wants to draw us, he wants to prevent us from sin. He gives us warnings against sin. He gives us the commandments. He gives us the gospel. He gives us so much to keep us from sinning. But because we have this wounded condition, we still fall. And when we fall, God does not strike us with lightning. He doesn't wipe us off the face of the earth. He addresses us. Well, what, now what have you done? Are you repentant? Or are you hard-hearted? Are you, are you ready to accept correction and turn away from sin? Or are you hardened in sin? Well, Cain takes the choice of hardness. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Are we our brother's keepers? Yes. Yes. What, what is love of neighbor? What's love of neighbor? That we have a responsibility for one another. We are not our brother's masters. We don't determine what our, what our neighbor does, but we are at the service of the good of our neighbor. 
God doesn't say, yes, you are. <laughs> and you know where your brother is. He buried him. God says to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the soil. Sin cannot be hidden from God. The effect of sin is much bigger than what we think. And we, when we sin, we know if we've offended someone, we know that we've offended someone. We don't know how badly because we don't know the other person's experience, but we don't know the whole uh, chain reaction that comes with sin. We don't know how we have harmed the whole human family and all creation. We don't know that the cry against us rises to God when we sin. See, we're so unaware of all that stuff, but God reveals to us what we've done, and then he gives us correction. And then we know the correction he gives to Cain. Cain is a tiller of the soil. Well, now he can no longer be tiller of the soil. I'm going to, I'm going to remove you from what you were doing so that you experience consequences so that you will change your heart. Now, Cain, this is a very long conversation he has with Cain. Cain, again, never, never bending, complains that his punishment is too great, and God is not fair, God is against him, and he's been against him from the beginning, and you know, he's, he was resentful before he killed Abel, he's resentful afterward. Now he's resentful against God. But the Lord protects Cain with this mark so that no one will kill him, no. That's, that's not to explain, since there's no one else around, who's going to kill him. It doesn't get into those questions. But the idea here is God has a way of dealing with our sin condition, and it's not vengeful. He wants to set us free. Now, this the whole story comes later, but you see what Jesus is dealing with when he's dealing with the Pharisees, those demanding the sign. He's dealing with Cain. He's dealing with a hard-hearted crowd. And, and he's not against them, but you can only do so much. So he doesn't put a mark on the Pharisees like the Lord puts a mark on Cain. But he tells them, you're not going to have a sign. I'm going to go away now. The idea is, if you really want to know the answer, follow me. But if you're going to stay hard-hearted, well, then you're stuck by yourself. Anyway, great insight into human nature, the human condition. It's not exactly like Freud thought. It's not a hopeless, uh, pessimistic view. It's a realistic view. Yes, we're dealing with a mess, but God knows how to deal with this mess. So the right response is to turn to him. Turn to him. Follow the commandments. Deepen your following of the commandments. We learned that yesterday. And, and recognize that what the Lord wants is Repentance for our own good, so that we will grow in our communion with Him, we'll be able to live according to the commandment of love of God, the commandment of love of neighbor. Without His help, we can't do it, but He offers us all we need to be able to fulfill the commandments. <laughs>